This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So thank you guys. That was beautiful. Good morning again. It's my privilege to introduce our speaker for today, Scarlett Lewis. And I was thinking about this beautiful line from scripture from Micah 6. Let the hills hear what you have to say. I believe today is a day where we get to celebrate a voice and we get to celebrate those voices that all of us have and that idea that when we start to exercise our voice, we start to exercise a choice. And it's of moving words that hopefully become worlds. So with that, I would ask you to stand up and give Scarlett a rousing ovation as she joins us today. Scarlett. Thank you so much. That's such a warm welcome. I really appreciate that. It's such an honor for me to be here uh, sharing with you really what I've learned over the past five and a half years in this new chapter in my life about courage. Um, Courage is a choice. That's probably the number one lesson that I've learned. And it's a choice that I've had to make every single day consciously in the last five and a half years. Sometimes I have to make it the first thing when I wake up, and sometimes it's the last thing that I think of when I go to bed. And so one of my New Year's resolutions this year, I've I've, uh, found a lot of comfort in the Bible. Um, My faith is really the bedrock of, of how I've made it through this most challenging time in my life. And my New Year's resolution was to read the Bible every single day right before I went to bed. I travel a lot, so I haven't actually done it every single day, but I've done a pretty good job. And uh, there's so many references to courage in the Bible. And there are also a lot of references to fear. Probably my favorite Bible verse is John 4.18, There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. So in other words, the opposite of fear is love. And the opposite of love is fear. And what bridges the gap? But courage. Courage bridges the gap. And courage is a choice. And it's what we're going to be talking about today. Because we all face fear in our life. And we all need to find the courage to choose love. That's been my mission for the past five and a half years, is teaching people how to choose love in the face of fear. The other thing I realized in researching the Bible, and this is just recent actually, is that sometimes when the Bible references courage, it talks about good cheer. Courage is used as good cheer sometimes in the Bible. And it really made me think, does it take courage to be happy? Is that what that means? And I think for me over the past five and a half years, and when you're going through hard times, the answer is yes, right? 
Yes, it takes courage to be happy, but that's something that we all have in common in here. Um, two things, actually. We all want to love and be loved. That is the great connector. It's something that as human beings, this is something that we all have in common. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter what religion we practice, where we live, any perceived difference at all. We all want to love and be loved. And when there is a lack of love, we find issues. But we all also want to be happy. And so that's what we're talking about today, is the courage to choose love and happiness in our lives and how we do that. So most of you know that uh, five and a half years ago, my six-year-old son was murdered at Sandy Hook Elementary School in his first grade classroom alongside 19 of his first grade classmates and six educators in one of the worst mass murders in U.S. history. It was on that day that I really learned my greatest lesson of courage. And it's the reason that I'm here talking about it today. I love the quote by Nelson Mandela, people must learn to hate. And if they can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. For love comes more naturally to the human heart than its opposite. Now, I run the Jesse Lewis Choose Love movement. I've been running this foundation for the past five and a half years. And the whole movement to choose love actually started at Jesse's funeral when I got up to speak. And of course, everybody on that day had been asking me, what can we do for you? Is there anything that we can do? So I got up and I said, you know, there is something that you can do. This whole tragedy started with an angry thought in Adam Lanza's head. Now, Adam Lanza was the former Sandy Hook Elementary School student who came back to the school. His mother used to be a teacher there and perpetrated the crime. But the whole tragedy started with an angry thought in Adam Lanza's head because everything starts with a thought in our head. Love starts with a thought. Hate starts with a thought. Courage starts with a thought. Our perception of our reality starts right here with a thought. The whole tragedy started with a thought. And the amazing thing to me is that a thought can be changed. And the incredible thing is, and I think I spoke about this last time, but this is so mind-blowing, that research tells us that everyone in here has about 50,000 thoughts a day. And we know through research that about 70 to 80% of those thoughts are negative. That means angry, non-productive, and don't serve us. We also know, one more statistic to throw out at you, that over 95% of those thoughts that we have every single day are repetitive. That means the same thought we had yesterday, a week before, a month before, a year before, sometimes up to five years before. So when we know that Every thought we have, or the majority of our thoughts on a daily basis, are negative and repetitive. It really makes us want to be mindful of what we choose to put into our head, because every thought is ultimately a choice. So I asked everybody on that day, start thinking about what you think about and actively change one negative thought into a positive thought. So one angry thought into a loving thought. I said, by doing that, you'll positively impact yourself. You'll make yourself feel better. 
you'll make those around you feel better. And through the ripple effect, you will make this a safer, more peaceful and loving world. So it's interesting what happened. So everybody went out to the four corners of the United States and they started calling me, emailing me, texting me about a week later. I know they were listening because they said that that one simple act completely changed their life. And I knew that I was onto something. So the interesting thing is, like, why do we have all those negative thoughts? Why are we kind of negative? Why we know through the latest neuroscience, negative experiences stick to us like Velcro and positive experiences bounce off of us. Why do we focus on the negative as human beings? And it's because of our negative bias. We actually have this natural built-in negative bias. Uh, Of course, we know that everything happens for a reason and a purpose and it serves us. I believe that. So why, why would we focus on the negative? Well, it's there for a great reason and that's to keep us safe. So if you go all the way back to caveman times and you know, caveman scanning for a saber-toothed tiger, focusing on the negative, that kept him alive to pass down his genes. So we still have that scanning mentality in our brains and we still operate from that. And actually, if you're aware of it, a lot of what you see comes from that negative bias, that scanning mentality. Maybe a little bit of the news, I don't know. So courage is what helps us overcome that negative bias, right? So that that we don't have negativity ruling our lives. It's interesting because 95% of our decisions every single day, so that means 95% of our decisions, our emotions, everything that we do uh, on a daily basis is run on autopilot. We don't even think about it. We're not consciously aware of it. We're just doing it. Only 5% of what we do on a daily basis are we consciously aware of. Only 5% of our decisions on a daily basis are made in our conscious mind. So that gives you an even bigger challenge And it makes you understand even more why you have to summon the effort to practice courage because we need to change those patterns that we're working from. So this whole whole movement started for me when I went home after the funeral and I saw three words that Jesse had written on our kitchen chalkboard. Um, These words... Uh, were phonetically spelled. So he wrote them sometime shortly before he died. I saw them after he died. They were phonetically spelled uh, because he was in first grade and just learning how to write. The words are nurturing, healing, love. And people say, oh my gosh, he was six years old. Where did he get those words? Did you walk around saying nurturing, healing, love? No. (laughs) Um, I knew immediately that they were a spiritual awareness. Um, I knew that it was a spiritual awareness that he wasn't going to be around for very much longer and that he wanted to leave a message of comfort for his family and friends. I knew instantly that if Adam Lanza, the young man who perpetrated the crime, had been able to give 
and receive nurturing, healing love, that the tragedy would never have happened. And I knew that I would be spending the rest of my life spreading this message. I knew it's where we needed to turn in order to survive and to thrive. And uh, actually, I analyzed the message because I thought there might be something more to it. And along with a doctoral professor uh, at Western Connecticut State University, um, the director of the Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation Center there, we found that that message comprised a powerful and profound formula for choosing love in any situation or circumstance. This formula can lead you to choosing love with whatever is going on in your life. And by the way, I've traveled all over the world in the last five and a half years. No one's ever raised their hand and said that the formula can't work in their certain circumstance. So we start with courage. Start with courage because courage is the most important character value there is. Courage underlies all the others. We can't do anything well without courage. Nurturing means loving kindness and gratitude. Healing literally means forgiveness. Love is compassion in action. When you have the courage to practice those three character values in that order, and by the way, that is neuroscientifically accurate as well. I'm pretty sure Jesse didn't know that. You are choosing love. So in other words, it takes courage to be grateful when things aren't going your way. It takes courage to forgive, especially when the person who hurt you isn't sorry and maybe the loss is forever. I know that well. It takes courage to step outside of, you know, we all have this busy bubble in our lives. It's everything that's going on and there's more distraction now than ever. It takes so much courage, doesn't it, to step outside of that busy bubble and even our own pain and suffering and help someone else. But when you do that, you're choosing love. So Jesse showed a tremendous amount of courage on that day. Jesse actually stood up to the shooter as he came into his first grade classroom. And Jesse was able to save nine of his classmates' lives before losing his own on that day. For that act of courage, he was given a commander-in-chief funeral. A commander-in-chief funeral is reserved for heads of state and returning war heroes. And Jesse was considered a war hero on that day because his first grade classroom was a literal war zone. I talk about that courage. I talk about that courage a lot. <laughs> that courage inspires me. And that courage is the same courage that we all have within us. Jesse was a six-year-old little boy. He didn't possess anything that we all don't have. We all have that courage. We just need to be aware of it and we need to practice it because courage is like a muscle. It has to be practiced. And that's what we're gonna talk about today, how we can do that in our everyday lives. So for the last five and a half years, I've been going around and talking about courage and the formula for choosing love. We actually have a program now. I'm, I, I can't remember if we had it the last time I was here. Um, we have a no-cost pre-K through 12th grade program that teaches this formula for choosing love. So it leads, 
kids and their educators to choosing love in any situation or circumstance in their life. And our definition of courage, because we start with courage, you have to start with courage, everything starts with courage, is the willingness and ability to walk through obstacles despite feeling embarrassment, fear, reluctance, or uncertainty. I tell this story, so this is, so I'm always learning right? And still learning, we'll always be learning. And uh, the need to cultivate courage, little did I know five and a half years ago, I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this Choose Love movement and I'm going to spread Jesse's message of nurturing, healing love and his example of courage all over the world. And, uh, and I'm, I'm still learning courage and I'm still working on my courage. So I'll tell you a little story. Um, I fly all over the place from school to school and uh, I was in a plane, and I'm not a real courageous flyer. Uh, so I'm still working on that. So I like sitting on the window, the window seat, so I can get my bearings and have control of the curtain. So anyway, um, I'm sitting there, and we're getting ready to back out. The flight attendant's making their final run up, the, up and down the aisle. And I'm looking out, and I see this thing on the wing. It's like a cable or something lying over the wing, and it's it's stuck in the wing and it's like preventing the flap from going up and down. I'm looking at that and I'm going, okay, that is not right, but I'm not the only person that sees it because there's a long line of windows and uh, we're about ready to take off and we're, this is an overnight flight over the largest body of water in the world, the longest flight, right? And, uh, and so I'm thinking, well, the pilot's going to see this. Somebody's going to say something. I'm not going to have to worry about this. So uh, we start backing out and we start going down towards the runway. And I'm thinking still, oh my God, are you serious? Like, can you see it out over the wing? I, I mean, does he know he can't raise and lower his flap? And, uh, and so the stewardesses pass. They sit down, they buckle themselves in. We turn to take off and I can't stand it. I, I can't stand it. I, I stand up and I go, excuse me, excuse me, I'm turning around. Um, there is really something that's not right. And you know, <sighs> Stuart takes off her, her, uh, her seatbelt. She comes up and she goes, what is it? And I said, look out on the wing. There's, a, there's like a cable or something laying over the wing. And she looks out and she goes, you're right, that's not right. She goes back, calls the pilot, the pi plane stops, the pilot walks back, he looks out, doesn't say a word, goes back, and then you hear, <sighs> uh, someone saw something and it's probably nothing, but since safety is our largest concern for you, we have to turn around and go back. If you have connecting flights, you're probably going to miss them. Sorry. Uh, and I'm like, oh my God, I can't even believe this. So we turn around, we park back into our space, and then these guys come up and they're checking out this cable. And I know they have no idea what it is because they're writing the part on their hand. And uh, anyway, it's about 30 minutes later when the flight attendant and the pilot come back down the aisle together and they say, who's the person that raised their hand? And I was like, oh my God, I did. And they walked up to me and the flight attendant said, thank you so much for doing that because it's my birthday and I wanna live to see another birthday. I tell that story because something really interesting happened after that. 
people started getting up, standing up in front of me and behind me. And they turned to me and they said, oh my gosh, thank God you had the courage to say something. Because we saw that and we didn't have the courage. They literally used the word courage. And so, well, first of all, I was like, oh, courage is our first character value. Yes. (laughs) Justification, validation. But then I thought, oh my gosh, a couple things. First of all, people saw that, saw that thing on the wing and they were willing to go on an overnight flight over the largest body of water, even though they thought maybe the thing would kill them because they didn't have the courage to speak out. And then I thought about myself. I go around and I talk about courage. We teach courage in my program and I almost didn't have the courage to speak out. Wow, so I learned a lot that day, but I also learned that it takes effort to have courage and that it's not something that you just get and that's it. It's something that you have to practice every single day and it's so vitally important, it might actually save your life. And why should we practice courage? This is something we have in the program, so I threw this in. Why? Why should we practice courage? Of course, there's research out of Harvard University that says when we understand the benefits of something, we experience them on an exponential level. So I thought I would tell you what the benefits are, actually, in, in as, as far as the scientific research shows. Um, courage is confidence. Each one of these is cited. Courage creates a sense of leadership. It enables us to be upstanders rather than bystanders that stand around and watch bad things happen. It makes us feel good. We all want to feel good. It helps us master our emotions, helps keep them in check. And also it helps to counter bullying. You know, the bullying that's going on that we really, uh, despite, despite all the programming, it continues to increase. Well, practicing courage, when you have the courage to stand up to bullying behavior, that behavior stops within 10 seconds. So there's lots of reasons to practice courage. So the choice is between fear or love. And actually, so 95% of the time we're running on autopilot and there's lots of fearful thinking that's programmed into that. But in actuality, when we realize it, it's a choice. The choice is between fear and love. And by the way, it's not about what happens to you in life. Um, something terrible happened to me, but something terrible's happened to you, I'm sure. Every single person in here has suffered. Everyone has felt pain. We all have our stuff. And by the way, when we're going through it, it's all relative because we all feel so deeply. And it's really not about what happens to you because stuff is going to happen. And even if you've had a perfect life until now, I hate to tell you, it's coming. (laughs) It's actually about how you respond to what happens to you. It's about how you thoughtfully respond How you thoughtfully respond is what shapes and molds us as human beings. That's where the lessons are. It's really not about what happens. It's about how we respond to what happens. So what moves us from fear to love? Courage, courage. I I walked in this morning and there were two kids carrying their courage fish. 
I was like, oh, wow, yes, I have that slide. Um, what, is, what is FEAR? I love this acronym for FEAR. There are a bunch of acronyms. This one's appropriate for today. FEAR is false evidence appearing real. False evidence appearing real. Did you realize that 85% of what we fear on a daily basis, do you have those fearful thoughts that go through your head? You know, worst case scenarios. Don't we kind of sometimes terrorize ourselves? Do you realize that 85% of those thoughts never happen? Never happen. The problem is when we have those fearful thoughts, our bodies don't know that it's not real. And so we're actually having this physiological response to our fear in our body, and it's not good for us. And do you realize that the vast majority, even even within um, the fears that do come true, the vast majority of them, we realize, ah, it's not as bad as I thought. Ah, guess what? I have the skills and tools to handle this because God doesn't give us anything that we can't handle. And I believe that. They're also valuable lessons. 500 years ago, one of the most significant philosophers of the French Renaissance said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. (laughs) So I want to bring a little bit more science into this because I'm kind of a geek. And I want to talk to you today about epigenetics. Epigenetics is a field of science. It's been around for about 80 years or more. And epi means outside. Genetics is our genes. So epigenetics gives us the understanding of how vital our thoughts and perceptions and actions are in our world. So we know our thoughts and perceptions are vital. We know that, um, well, for, for decades, we believed that we inherited our genes from our parents, right? Our mom and our dad. And if they had a predisposition for something that was negative or positive, well, that's what we had. And epigenetics tells us that our thoughts and our perceptions of our environment can actually turn on and off gene expression. So in other words, we have so much more control in our lives than we ever imagined. And it's all through our thoughts. What happens when we feel like we don't have control in our lives? And I, I'm not going to ask you because I can't really see you, but it's so funny. It's always the same three answers. So I already know. Uh, anxiety, frustration, and anger. It's perfect because I go right from there. Um, but we have much more control than we ever thought. We never have to feel out of control. And what's the one thing that we can always control? That's how we respond in every situation. And we can always respond with love. So when we go back to epigenetics, uh, an example of this is the placebo effect. Did you know through medical science, a third of all healing happens from the placebo effect? And the placebo effect is just using our thoughts and our beliefs and we believe that we're going to get well, and we do. It has nothing to do with the medication that we take. Of course, the opposite of that is the nocebo effect. So uh, there's, there's research that uh, there have been experiences where people have been misdiagnosed with terminal cancer, 
and told that they were going to die in three months. And they actually did die. And then an autopsy was performed and there was no sign of disease. So in other words, because of their beliefs, because of their thoughts and their beliefs, they actually died when there wasn't any disease. So epigenetics gives us the understanding of how vitally important our thoughts and our beliefs are, and we have so much more control over them. They're so vitally important and so powerful, they can even turn on and off gene expression. So let's think about how that relates to stress and how we feel about stress. Has anybody experienced stress in the last six months? Yes. Okay, so have I, actually. Uh, quite a bit of it. So um, we know through decades and decades and decades of, of scientific research how bad stress is for us, right? Well, I mean, let's just check it out. Um, it's on the slide. So we know like common effects of stress on your body, headaches, chest pain, fatigue, stomach upset, problems with sleep, common effects of stress on your mood, anxiety, restlessness, lack of motivation, anger uh, on your behavior, um, substance abuse, social withdrawal, isolation. Um, and we know that it can actually cause heart attacks, right? And death. This is stress. Now, the latest research from Harvard University tells us that it is only our perception of stress that is bad for us, not stress itself. What do you mean? Well, when you look at the actual stress response, you know, the feeling that you get, your heart starts beating, your face gets a little red, you feel that energy, right? Actually, you are releasing cortisol. Cortisol is negative, and that actually... Um, starts an inflammation process and constricts your blood vessels. It's not good for you, right? But guess what else happens? You release oxytocin. Have you heard of oxytocin? That's the cuddle hormone, not oxycotton, but oxytocin. Guess what? Oxytocin is, uh, actually counteracts all of the neg negativity in stress. So it widens our vessels it makes us feel good, and it helps us connect with other people. So stress in this Harvard University study and other studies that have been done since is only bad for us, is only toxic to us when we believe it is. Because in studies, they studied tens of thousands of people, people who thought that they were highly stressed, yet didn't think stress was bad for them, had no adverse side effects to the stress. Pretty interesting, right? And it's all, it's all right up here. So what if we just thought about stress as our bodies preparing to rise to the occasion? Because that's really all that it is. So courage is the mechanism that helps us change our perceptions of our environment, of the situations that we're in. Uh, and it takes courage to respond in these situations with love. When we respond with courage, we take our personal power back. When we respond with anger, hatred, and resentment, we give our personal power away. 
So what does courage look like in our everyday life? Courage looks like being grateful, especially when things aren't going our way. By the way, gratitude is the great mind shifter. Of those 50,000 thoughts that go through your head every single day, they go through single file. And it's impossible to have a fearful, angry, resentful thought and a grateful thought at once. It takes courage to forgive, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. It takes courage to step outside our own pain and fear to help someone else. It takes courage to be present, available. My mom calls the greatest show on earth life. But it takes courage to be present to all of it, present to the discomfort, present to the pain, and present to the joy. Because by the way, if you're not present to the discomfort and pain, you can't be present to the joy. Courage looks like being kind, even in the face of unkindness. And it also looks like being vulnerable. (laughs) So like standing up here and talking to you about courage, like being wholehearted by being present, by sharing your story by reaching out to others. Courage is listening. Not listening to respond, which a lot of us do, and I find myself doing a lot, but truly listening to the other person just to be there. It's expressing yourself. It's being true to yourself. It's being real. It's being down to earth. It's taking off the armor and just being who you are. I want to talk just a minute about forgiveness because forgiveness has been such an important part of my journey and it's taken a tremendous amount of courage as well. The courage to forgive. (laughs) It takes a lot of courage. Um, But when you look at the opposite of courage, the choice is clear because the opposite of courage would be living a life where I've given my personal power away to someone else, actually to the person who murdered my son. It just doesn't even make any sense to allow someone else, especially uh, someone who was so isolated, so in pain and so suffering, five and a half years later to have control over my thoughts that impact my feelings, that then impact my behavior. But I'll tell you what, the only way that I can take my personal power back is through choosing to forgive. Because forgiveness starts with a choice. It's just a choice. Now, you don't even have to really totally 100% be there, (laughs) but make the choice to forgive. And then you'll find that it's not the only time you have to do it because it starts with a choice and then it becomes a process. And it may be one that you have to do every single day, like I do. But... In certain situations, it's the only way that you can take your personal power back and choose love for yourself. We know through science, for those of you who love science like I do, forgiveness is the key to resilience. It's also the key to having healthy relationships. And Harvard University, keep saying Harvard, I should say Penn, sorry, next time I will. did a 75-year longitudinal study on what the secret to happiness is. 
And of course, remember that's, we all want to be happy. I don't have to remind you about that. The key to happiness, healthy relationships, deep and meaningful connection. The key to healthy relationships, forgiveness. Do you see how it all works together? <laughs> now, how can we practice courage? Um, modeling is a great way to practice courage. Not modeling, but actually modeling the behavior that we want to rise to the occasion to. So, like, I have a little story. Um, when I was at the firehouse, uh, so, so that day when the shooting occurred, the parents were told to reunite with your kids at the firehouse and uh, take them home. So I was a single mom, long commute. By the time I got there, most of the kids were gone. And I had to write Jesse's name down on a long list. Actually, I had to turn the paper over and write it. Never in a million years did I think that all those people were murdered. Um, but my 12-year-old son was at middle school in lockdown, and he texted me and asked if he could meet me at the firehouse. And I thought, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, because when we find Jesse, he's going to want his big brother. So JT came, and I have to tell you, it was complete chaos there. Uh, There's a rumor of another shooter. There were army men. There were guns. There was helicopters. And you can imagine, it was chaos. And I, I began to realize that JT was watching every single thing I did, every word that came out of my mouth, every move that I made, every gesture, everywhere I looked. His eyes were on me, and I realized at that moment, I was going to have to model courage for him. I was going to have to model how I wanted him to move through trauma and tragedy. It helped me. It helped me in that moment to rise to the occasion, to be the person that I wanted him to be. And it was through modeling that I was able to increase my own courage on that day. Another way to practice courage is to be generous in your assumptions of one another. This is a really, really important rule because when we do this, we're also helping ourselves. So I don't know if you know, but every day we're making snap judgments on people. Like within seconds, when we see somebody that we don't even know, we've already made all these judgments about them. But we also judge people that we love, people that are friends of ours, people that we work with. And... Uh, we make assumptions. So for instance, uh, you're with a coworker and you're presenting maybe something and they're on their phone. You know, you'd make an assumption in your head like, oh my God, he doesn't care what I'm talking about. He's on his phone. I, you know what? I, that's so disrespectful. You know what? I don't even think he likes me. And you know what? I don't like him. I never have, right? <laughs> have you ever jumped to those conclusions? Um, but if you had the courage to perhaps walk with that person after the meeting and say, hey, I noticed that you were on your phone while I was talking. Is everything okay? You might find out that over the weekend, their daughter went in for emergency surgery and he was checking his phone to see if there was any update. Always, always be generous in your assumptions because guess what? Even if you're not accurate, it helps you have the courage to move past judgment, anger, resentment, maybe even hatred. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. 
Our fear of making mistakes holds us back every single day in so many ways. And you know what? The reality about making mistakes, and this is science again, is that when we make mistakes, our brain grows. It's actually a learning experience. It actually changes our brains. And after we make the mistake or failure, we're smarter and we're more creative. Mistakes actually help us. And actually the top companies, now they have a new question on their employee evaluation um, that they give maybe quarterly, maybe annually. Did you make any mistakes? And guess what? The wrong answer is no. The right answer is yes, I made a mistake and here's what I learned from it. Albert Einstein said, a person who never made a mistake never tried anything new. We need to have the courage to try something new. Courage in itself, actually uh, the root of the word courage comes from uh, a Latin word core, which means heart. So courage is actually located in our heart. So I'm going to go through a few just little exercises that we have in our program. These are just fun ways to practice courage, right? One I was doing right over there before I walked on. It's called the brave pose, right? (laughs) This is what I do before I speak every time. So it helps us. It enhances our performance. It increases our self-confidence. And actually, by the way, it helps how people see you and the feedback that you get. Because I bet you would much rather have somebody coming out here like this than like this. Right? And the brave breaths. Do you guys want to do a brave breath? Because brave breath is the actually, it's actually the most popular thing in our Choose Love Enrichment program. Kids love it and they do it all the time. They go home, they teach it to their parents. Let's try a brave breath. So here's a really quick, a quick thing is that you can't be in your mind and your body at the same time. So you know when your mind is racing, a great way to get out of your mind is to touch your left hand. It's pretty cool. So put one hand on your heart, one hand on your stomach. So I want you to be aware of your hand on your heart because you're not going to be in your head. You're going to be in your heart right now because we're summoning courage. We're taking a brave breath. Okay, so now I want you to take a breath in through your nose. Your stomach should expand. And now let it out. Now, the next breath, I want you to think of somebody that you love unconditionally. Take a deep breath in. Think about that love. Take a breath out. Now I want you to think of courage growing just like a balloon. Take a breath in. Take a breath out. How'd that feel? Good? Hopefully. The whole point of this talk is so that you could understand that courage is a choice and how we can choose it on a daily basis. It's one of the most important choices that we make. Of course, I want to leave you with, uh, with the last message that Jesse left for his older brother. Um, have a lot of fun. JT went into his room and he found this little note folded up on his desk. And uh, 
One of my board of directors, because I'm a 501c3, just gave an hour-long talk. He's a doctoral professor of positive psychology. And he talked about how we need to recognize micro moments of joy every single day. And uh, pain and suffering come, right? We don't go, oh, you know what? I think I'll do pain and suffering from six to eight tomorrow night. That sounds good. No, no, pain and suffering just come. The interesting thing is we have to recognize when joy is in front of us sometimes, right? And joy isn't a new Ferrari. Joy is maybe a cup of coffee. Maybe joy is running your hand along your cat or being with your dog. Joy is having your son come home from college. That's my joy. Joy doesn't last a long time. So it's our job to find micro moments of joy and try to expand them because they really do build up to help us when things get tough. And Tom, Dr. Krasinski, actually ended his entire talk with a slide, have a lot of fun. And he said, you know what? The whole meaning of life is summed up in the six-year-old boy's five words. Have a lot of fun. That is why we're here. In fact, the two most important things that we do on a daily basis, whether we're aware of them or not, and we're aware now, is choosing love over fear in every decision that we make, because at their very foundation and base, we're either choosing love or fear, and the outcomes look vastly different, and having a lot of fun. We need to move towards having a lot of fun. And actually, sometimes we even have to have the courage to schedule it before we finish our emails. I'm going to read this last quote. The man in the arena, it's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how strong the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there's no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall, shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. The secret to happiness is freedom and the secret to freedom is courage. Thank you very much. So to close today's service, just a few quick remarks. One is, you know, I love the idea, if we could flip to the slide, like this is where we're trying to work towards. And the transformation of silence into language and action is vitally necessary to teach by living, by living and speaking those truths which we believe and know beyond understanding. Because in this way alone, we can survive by taking part in a process of life that is created and continuing that is growth. 
connected with this beautiful idea about heaven. You know, the basic idea of heaven is, is heaven is a place where everyone shares everything of value. And that's what we did today is we shared everything of value. What we know matters. What we know matters. And folks, maybe the moral of today's story, the, 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 the lesson, the, 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 the communication that maybe we're all trying to share is just this simple thing that we choose. We choose the way we live in our families. We choose the way we live in our communities. We get to choose the way the world works. Of course, there are many events way beyond our control, and we know about that from stories like today, and we know from stories like today that we choose. We choose. And what we can choose is love. So Scarlett's going to join me for the last prayer here. Scarlett, if you'd come forward. Thank her again, folks. So for this last song, I'd ask you to stand up or to rise up. Can you guess what last song we're going to do? I'd ask you to rise up, and I'd ask you to get your best courage pose on here for a minute. There we go. And this song is, there you go. That's really good. I'm also never flying with you, just so you know. You know, and and with your courage pose, I, I want you to think about Rise Up. When you're feeling like singing with the song, please do. So Lord, we stand here today. We stand here today and we think, what does it mean to rise up? What does it mean to stand, to stand moving past our silence and our worries and our concerns, to rise up? What does it mean to acknowledge our anxieties and the way life has broken and maybe the ways life has broken us and to choose and to rise up? Help us, Lord, to continue to rise. Help us, Lord, to continue to become more and more into who you intended us to be from all time. Help us to rise up. Help us to rise up with the courage of our heart, with the calling of your gentle holding, with the understanding that even in the brokenness of life, there is always light. There's always a way forward and always that call. Be with us, Lord. This week, let's choose fun. Let's choose love. Let's choose a way to rise up. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 